three, two, one. Welcome back to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. On the Balancing Act, we talk to business leaders and industry experts to explore the balancing acts we play in our professional lives and learn about the events that put rocket boosters behind their career success. Today, we have Shelly Phillips joining us. Shelly is Vice President of Communications and Public Relations at Coweta Fayette EMC and is the author of several award-winning books. Her most recent work is Culture Secrets Any Leader Can Use to Build a Value Culture. Welcome to the show, Shelly. Thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a very it's going to be a great conversation. I can't wait to get into what uh, V A L U E stands for, but we'll save that for just a moment. Uh, I ask this question of all my guests: uh, What's your story, Chili? So I, I guess really I, I consider myself a storyteller. I, I began my career in with getting a journalism and PR degree. I did a little bit of time in radio news and decided that 3 a.m. wake-up calls were not for me, especially when I was 21, 22, 23 years old. Uh, So then I went the path of least resistance and went into print journalism. And, you know, for me, what was so great about that was, was getting to hear everybody else's stories. Um, I ended up being a features editor, which meant I got to spend a lot of time actually getting to know the people that I was interviewing, doing more long form stories and things like that. And so um, it was always interesting to me to see how someone ended up where they were. Um, during that time, I uh, transitioned over to the utility world where I did PR for a utility in Alabama, and now I'm at one in Georgia. And in the meantime, did a little bit of work with a, a national sorority that was on a campus in Alabama. And I was a mentor, a chapter advisor for that organization. And I got to deal with mostly the leaders inside that organization. And that's really where I became passionate about the career and and personal branding world that, that, that I really delve into now. And what we would see is that some of these women, when they were leaving college, um, if they did not get an offer that, you know, right around graduation time, if they had to take a, um, you know, a get by job until they could find one in their field, when they finally got the offers, they were coming in six to $8,000 less than what someone was getting it if they got it right when they got their degree. Somehow or another, having the work experience made them less valuable in the workplace. And so I really got interested in why is that? How are we positioning ourselves and what can we do? to really show up and sell the fact that not only do I have the book experience in this field, I now have shown that I am dependable. I've shown that I can work in an office setting. I've shown that I can deal with customers or whatever the the case may be. And so that really sent me down that personal branding. How do we present ourselves? How do we interview? How do we really sell ourselves to the best of the ability so that people know the value that we're bringing to the table? And then a little later in life, um, I got to experience it on my own own side. Is um, The company that I worked for got a new boss and he didn't really value the role of communications and was not what I call a people manager, was more about a numbers manager. And it was amazing to me how in the course of over six months, somebody could really change my opinion of myself. It made me question whether or not, am I still a value? Is what I do still really important? And I tell people, I said, you know, I had a a bookcase of industry awards that I could look at any day to say, yes, you know what you're doing. But at night, I would still go home feeling like, 
you know, like something's missing. Like, I, I don't understand why I can't make them understand why this matters. And so I ended up with a, a career change in my 40s, which is, you know, something that people shy away from a lot of time. You know, you've spent all this time being vested in the programs where you were at. You grew up with those people. I knew their families, their kids, you know, whole nine yards. And so trying to make that decision on, do I take that change? Do I take this chance and see what else is out there? So that's really how I began my own business of doing personal branding work with people, helping them set themselves up for career success, and now transitioning that into the world of corporate training and speaking, whereas I help companies understand the role that their people have and why it's important to value what they bring to the table. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to talk a lot about culture today. Going back to the beginning of your career, I can really relate to the not wanting to wake up at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, <laughs> I used uh, One of my first jobs was delivering bread and donuts uh, in the morning. And oh my goodness, uh, that lasted for about five months. <laughs> 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 and and I uh, realized I was not a morning person at all. Uh, Telly, if you had to pick one event in your life that just put rocket boosters, just accelerated your career, what is that event? I would say it would be that job change that I had later in life. And it came um, after my boss sent an email basically implying or questioning where my skills front came from and basically said they came from a box of cereal, like the prize inside that we used to get when oh, we were kids. Um, and so it was one of those moments where that email, it, it, you know, it hurt my feelings, but then it really made me mad. And yeah. it was, it was the fuel that I needed to be like, I could tell everybody it was my kick in the pants moment where it was like, okay, you see where this is going. No amount of you trying to prove yourself is going to change the situation. So now it's up to you to do something better. And I tell everybody now that it was probably the best thing that ever happened because I found new opportunities. It opened up the door to, you know, me being able to write these books and do these things and have this message and be able to impact some more people. And now I'm really thankful that I took that chance and walked through that door of opportunity at the time that it came and didn't just wallow in, you know, the feelings that I was having and become one of those people that just kind of showed up and didn't put any effort into the work they did anymore because they just knew it didn't matter to someone. Yeah. So two messages out of that that I'd like to amplify. The first is that uh, 40 is not old. So, uh, and this is a message for everybody that's less than 40 who's listening to this, or maybe a little older than 40. You can make a change. You can make a big change right in the middle of what you think is your career, and you have to stick with it your whole life. Boy, Jelly is a great example of reinvention, and 40 is actually uh, quite quite young <laughs> these days. And I tell yeah. everybody, sometimes it takes us that long to really figure out what we want to do in life, right? <laughs> ab ab absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and the second thing is the message for everybody that words cut and words cut can cut deep. Uh, the fact that Chelly didn't wallow in the valley of despair forever doesn't make it any better uh, because you remember that event so vividly to this day. And I can think back to, you know, things that were said to me and things that I've said to other people that I know are still uh, stick with them like a uh, like like a pebble in their shoe uh, to this day. So words matter, people. Uh, 
So, Chelly, let's dive in. Uh, culture, your your new book on workplace uh, culture. What prompted you to write Culture Secrets? And as you're giving that that uh, description, if you can define what organizational culture means to you, that would be great. Yeah, sure. So. Culture to me is the heart and guts of a company. And it's really what is going to define your success. Because if you have great culture, success is going to come because you're going to have all the key elements that you need there working together to do that. To me, it's, it's culture becomes that fuel that allows you to get things done. And it's really the, the beliefs, the goals, the values, the experience, the emotions, and the intentions that everybody who works there brings when they walk through the door in the morning to that organization. And so what really prompted me to write the book was kind of twofold. I had been exploring company culture because of my my corporate job that I have, my, my, my eight to five job, and we were creating a culture program here. Um, how can we keep our employees engaged? How do we keep them growing and, and continuing their professional development? And so we created a program here. It's been going now for about six years, I think. And so we've had a lot of success with it. So, you know, learning from other people, seeing what worked, what didn't work, all that kind of thing. And and one night I had one of those moments where I literally woke up about three in the morning and I was like, it's a value culture and value. I, it was one of those, like, I could not go back to sleep until I, I, I set, picked up my phone and I texted myself value culture. And here's what value means. And this is why it matters. Had to get it all out so I could go back to sleep and quit thinking about it. And so from that acronym really became the book. And it was so, it was such a fun journey to take being able to, to dive into it and really talk to some amazing people who have been very successful with the cultures inside their companies. And to see that, you know, that culture doesn't have to be complicated. It can be simple things that make big differences in what we do. Yeah, it is really the 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 the, the very simple things that uh, that matter. Uh, you know, Kelly, there are a sea of books on corporate culture. Just go on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, do a search on uh, culture, and a ton of them show up. What sets your book apart? And if you can define that acronym value for us, that would be great. Absolutely happy to. To me, I think what sets mine apart is that while this is simple, it's not fluff. And sometimes a lot of the books I read on culture, a lot of the conversations I have, people assume culture is fluff. Like yeah. it has no tangible thing that I can wrap my hand around. And and especially coming from a utility world, you know, I deal with a lot of engineers and accountants and all that kind of stuff. And they want some kind of number they can put to something. What can I track? What can I do? What can I do? Um, and so, you know, really defining the fact that culture can have some very tangible impacts on your bottom line, on your performance, on your customer satisfaction, on your retention, and even on the way your employees interact with your wellness benefits and all this other kind of thing. There's really some strong ways that you can actually see a dollar value, not only a people value, but a dollar value in creating that culture. And to me, what sets the book apart is that we talk about culture, whether you are a worldwide manufacturing facility or whether you're a mom and pop organization entrepreneur. Whatever works in one works in the other. And it's just a matter of it being exponentially bigger and bigger. But the core concepts, which is that value concept that we're talking about, applies no matter what size organization that you have. And V 
simply stands for vision and values. A is accountability. L is leadership. U is the uniqueness of the people that you have inside that organization or that company. And E is the engagement and excitement that you create by doing these things. Thank you so much for uh, take, walking us through that. Uh, let's uh, talk balancing acts now. It's the name of the show. Uh, it wouldn't be the show if we didn't talk about a balancing act. Uh, if you're a corporate decision maker, you're probably the chief human resources officer who's in charge of improving uh, an existing organization's cultural landscape. What is the most important balancing act you have to consider before diving in? So to me, I think the the first thing that you really need to balance is change and time. We all have this expectation that people are ready to change just like we are. (laughs) And a lot of the time that you have to lay that groundwork and give people time to get on board with where you are. You've already had this vision. You've already seen in your mind what the outcome is going to be. But the thing that we are as people is resistance to change. And so you know, balancing that fact that I want the change to happen now with the fact that I've got to give people time to become accustomed to the change, to see that it's something real, that it's not just another, you know, it's not just another motto or it's not some other kind of gimmick that we have going on, that this is a real program that's going to have real value is very important. And so balancing your expectations with the human nature of throwing something else at them in today's world. Well, thank you for shining the spotlight on change management because uh, any kind of cultural shift is going to be big change for many people in the organization. And you just pointing out for especially the leaders who are listening that your change journey and your expectations of other change, other people's change journeys, those two things can be wildly different. And it's one of the biggest misses that uh, leaders make is just assuming that everybody, you say something and everybody's going to come right along. Yep, absolutely. (laughs) So Jelly, we're going to take a short commercial break and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Andy Tempty. Over the past 35 years, I've learned a lot about business leadership and I'd like to share those lessons with you. Ask yourself, how do I create an effective, sustainable management operating system? How do I design smooth workflows to better serve the customer? How do I balance organizational trust with accountability The Balanced Business describes the practical, step-by-step process you need to answer these questions. Order your copy today, wherever books are sold. And we're back with Chelly Phillips talking about the world of corporate culture. Uh, Chelly, let's run a quick thought experiment. Suppose you're talking to a mid-level manager or even an individual contributor working in a business or institution who believes that they're company's corporate culture is suboptimal, they probably feel stuck and powerless. What advice do you have for this individual to make a difference? So first thing is I would say kudos to you for realizing there's something that needs to change inside that organization. And I hope you don't get discouraged on the journey. And you most definitely can lead a change revolution and a culture revolution from your cubicle, whether your supervisor or whether your CEO is behind that mission yet. Um, I call it flying solo. In fact, I have a, um, an ebook if people are interested that they can download for free if you go to my website, chellyphillips.com backslash fly 
flying-solo. You can download an ebook that talks you through all kinds of things that you can do, no matter whether you're the decision maker in the organization or you just want a better experience sitting around your coworkers every day. But I think the best piece of advice I could have is if it's not an organizational move yet, um, in the book, I had the opportunity to to talk with Rich Sheridan. Um, if you're not familiar with him, he's the author of Chief Joy Officer. He has a tech company out of um, Michigan. Uh, it's called Menlo Innovations. And one of the things he told me is to run the experiment. And I love that because, you know, when you're running an experiment, sometimes you're, you're not expecting the outcome yet. You're just trying to see what's going to happen. So you don't have this expectation right. of, well, this has to be this before it can be a success. No, we're going to run the experiment and just see what happens and see if we can get by it. If you come into it with that mentality, I think you're, you're more apt to keep it going. I think you're more apt to not get frustrated and give up on it if you don't see change happening very quickly. But you know, say you have a small team of people that you, you're responsible for. You can totally change that culture of that team. And then what happens is other people begin to see that. They begin to see that people enjoy working on that team. They tend to see the results are better. They tend to see that the productivity increases in that group. And people want to know why. And so when you can make a small difference like that, other people will notice, they begin to, to see what's happening and people will start asking you, what are you doing? We want to replicate that. We want to see that spread throughout the organization. And you can total be that agent of change that helps spread that throughout the organization, whether you've got the CEO support or not to begin with. Right. Uh, the challenge, however, is that culture, from my perspective, uh, being a former chief executive, the chief executive does have to ultimately buy in. Uh, and, and, the, and, you know, the change can come from the middle, but the, you're really influencing the, the, the C-suite. Um, what advice do you have? When, when does that individual pull the plug? When, when, do they, when do they go, okay, this experiment is not working. We're going to do something else. Yeah. So, I mean, like you can really look at, are you having issues with retention? Like, can you not keep employees? Is there something going on? You know, again, I go back to sometimes as you have to be the, you have to find those numbers that make your case to be able to make the valid argument for different levels inside the organization. So if you can show we're having to replace these positions every you know, 12 months, 18 months, whatever, because they're not satisfied with what's going or that you're spending time investing in people's training, getting them up to par, and then they're only staying two or three years afterwards because they're not getting any continual development or things like that. Or if you have a department that is struggling. Maybe, you know, I hate to say this, but sometimes we have the wrong leaders in place inside our organization. We, we put people in positions because of years of service or different things, not because they're necessarily the coach that that team needs to get the most out of the people that are there. Um, and some of that's old school business thinking. And I think that's changing in the way that we're doing work today. But there's still some of that out there. And sometimes, you know, it takes having that hard conversation is that someone may not be in the right role. So if we want to see things progress and, and, and really continue to go, that we may need to adjust some people's responsibilities and duties. Um, and so, you know, I, I think those are some of the conversations. If, you, if you're in that mid-level management and you're trying to convince upper management, this is to go, go armed with the data. 
data, you know, data serves to tell the story. And, you know, I grew up telling stories. And so um, sometimes you have to present it in the way that people hear it or see it. So they may not get my, you know, my emotional plea for something, but if I can put, okay, here's what this is costing you every time we replace someone, or here's what it's costing you after we train someone and they go to our competition, you know, then I can make people understand that this really has a tangible value and for us to look at it and continue that, that work inside. Yeah, come armed with the data. Absolutely. Many senior leaders uh, get themselves trapped in this mindset that people are replaceable and that you can easily switch out Susie for Billy in an, in an organization. And that is just not the case. It, it caught the, the actual dollar costs uh, can are substantial uh, turnover, engagement, et cetera. Uh, Chelly, let's run another quick thought experiment. Now you've got a chief executive officer sitting right in front of you right now, and they've been sold, quote unquote, a few times on gimmicky programs to improve corporate culture that really haven't moved the needle. They don't want to give up, but frustration is building throughout the organization. What advice do you have for this CEO to put them on the path to success? I say first kudos for recognizing that there's an issue and that you're willing to fix it and that self-awareness great. <laughs> it is. And that you haven't given up because the first couple of things have not produced the results that you want. Um, I think sometimes uh, we get culture mixed up with pizza parties and company yeah. swag and things like that. And so the first thing I would ask you to do is really evaluate, have you really initiated a culture shift or have you just been maybe window dressing some of the things that were going on. Like I'm going to have, I want employee engagement. So I'm going to have everybody comes to work casual. We're going to have pizza party, you know, Tuesday or something, you know? Um, so really look at what you're doing and are you addressing the actual issues of what the culture issue is, or are you just kind of covering it up, trying to make it pretty and make things better for a little while? Um, and the thing that I can say is if you realize that maybe I haven't dived into this enough and I've, I have not really addressed the main issues where our culture problems are, the thing that I would say as a CEO is get your people involved. And I don't mean just the people that answer to you. The problem with that is people who answer to you generally tell you what you want to hear. Right. They're not necessarily going to come tell you everything that's happening out on the floor or whatever else. And so I think the first thing a CEO can do to really impact a culture change is to be a listener and start ground floor. Start with some of your front end people. Ask them, what do you think of when you come to work here? What are our values? What is recognized here as good work? What are the things that we're trying to improve upon? And really get their feedback. And then you can kind of continue to shift it and move up the ladder and see where things are. But I think you'll find some commonalities. And when you're creating a culture, the thing is that's that vision and value piece that I was talking about under the V is that when you can get everybody to align with that vision that yes, we all feel these things are important inside this organization, then what you can do is you can assign a set of behaviors that go along with those. If we're going to create this vision, then we're going to do these five things consistently to do that. That gives you that A, that accountability piece, because then I have something I can track. I can say, yes, we're doing this. No, we're not doing this. We need to do a better job of this. And the thing is, if they've been bought in from the vision, then they help create those behaviors 
then no one can say we're not on the same page and we don't understand where we're going because you've heard me, I've heard you, and we've come to this common agreement. And this is the way we want the company to move forward to be successful. And I think we all have a role to be able to make that successful. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a, a continuous improvement or organizational health guy uh, in the parlance of continuous improvement or what you're telling your leaders is go to the Gemba, go on a Gemba walk, go to the front lines, open up your ears, set down your phone, <laughs> it'll lock your phone away somewhere and start listening, especially to the front line, because it is your front line who knows the most about your customer and most about what is actually happening uh, in the business. So thank you so much for that, Shelly. Mm -hmm. uh, as we close, th close things out, uh, we'll have a little fun. I've got two lightning round questions for you. So first question, I give you access to a time machine. You can send a very short message to an earlier version of Shelly Phillips. What's the message and what previous version of yourself do you send it to? So I, I think I would send this um, to me when I was still a reporter. Um, and, um, at, at the time I, you know, I, I was, I mean, I, I enjoyed the work I was doing where I was at and everything, but I had some opportunities to go to some larger Metro areas at the time, but yet I wasn't a hundred percent confident in my skill level at that time. Cause I had, you know, I'd only been in the field for two or three years, still trying to figure out, you know, what politician can I talk to for this? Who's going to call me back from the state house? What's happening? You know, that kind of thing. And so I think that that fear of stepping into an unknown situation is, you know, is something that keeps us all held back. And so I would tell myself to take a few more risks when I was a little bit earlier, because you never know how those are going to turn out. That's that's great, great advice uh, for, for all of us. Uh, uh, Chelly, both you and I, you've written uh, several more books than I have. Uh, I've, I've now written two. Uh, folks think that people that write books somehow have it all figured out, but we're all works in progress. Uh, so what are you focused on right now in your own personal journey of growth? So I, I think what I'm really taking time to, and, and not for this to be a downer moment or anything, but I lost my father earlier this year. And so that's been something that's been a struggle for me and, and you know, feeling, you know, that filling that void. And so the thing that I would say is that I'm really focusing on enjoying everybody and every opportunity that comes around and impacts me in some way. So putting the phone up, like you were talking about earlier when we were talking about walking around the thing, but you know, when I'm at, you know, when I'm out with friends or I'm with my family, put the phone up, who cares what messages you're getting right now, really dial into that moment and enjoy it. And same things that come along with opportunities now, um, like when I'm speaking and doing things like that is really engaging with the audience and the people that are in my training sessions and everything, because they have such unique stories too that I learn from them and not passing up on any opportunities to really learn and grow from other people's experiences as well. Yes, as teachers, uh, which both of us are, uh, you learn just as much from uh, your audience uh, and your students as, uh, as they learn from you. Uh, thank you so much for that. What's next? Where can people connect with you? Where's Jelly Phillips going? So um, I am actually branching into a little unknown for me lately. Um, I, I have written books, but I have never written kids books. And um, 
I, I was kind of challenged by someone that I look on as like their business coach or um, someone that uh, keeps me grounded in what I'm doing and everything. Probably not an official coach, more like a cheerleader probably. So, um, but um, I've had this kind of plan in the works for a little while and just never dived into it, but um, written a series of five kids books that are going to start launching in a, in about a month now. So, um, and it's about uh, a female detective. She is in middle school and she has a squad of friends that helps her solve mysteries, everything from the case of the missing sneakers to vanishing library books to missing mascots. And the key to it is that she's not able to solve the mystery without the help of her friends and what they bring to the table. Each one of them has a unique skill or maybe a talent or, you know, some way of looking at life that helps them actually be able to solve the mystery. And so it does tie into the culture work that I'm doing as far as recognizing the value that people bring to the table. And I think it's an important conversation that we can start having at even a younger age that we do need to recognize the value that everybody has that not everybody has the same strengths as others, but that doesn't mean that they can't contribute in some way. And so that's been really fun. Um, I was actually able to take a story that I had written in seventh grade and build from it and go from there. That was the actual original premise for the missing sneakers story. And nice. so it was fun to revive that. My dad had kind of played a part in that with when I was writing it and doing that kind of thing. So it was kind of a way for me to work through some of that as well and have a and have a really neat outcome, I think. So as far as where people can connect with me, the website, ChellyPhillips.com. Um, I'm prolific poster on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, you can find me just by typing in the name. And um, I, I generally engage quite a bit with the people that comment on, on my post and everything. So you probably get a comment back if you say something. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I've certainly enjoyed uh, meeting you and getting to know you a bit. Uh, sounds like you've got just a lot going on that folks can engage with. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is the Balancing Act podcast. You can find us on all the major uh, streaming services. Please like, subscribe, rate, and most importantly, share this public good with your friends, family, and your colleagues. The show was produced by Nicholas Tempty, and we'll see you next time.